welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi, Jeffrey. Hey, Squirrel. So uh, one thing we have to mention is an important podcast milestone. This is our one-year anniversary. This is episode 52. All right. Go us. <laughs> Indeed. One, one year ago, on 2nd of January 2018, we got started with our first Troubleshooting Agile podcast. So here we are. Let's see if we can uh, get another year in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks for making it uh, so much fun. Well, I'm enjoying it as well. And we really appreciate our listeners. So, Jeffrey, you have a, a great story you were telling me about uh, deviance in your team. Now, don't switch <laughs> off, everybody. That's not something uh, untoward. That's something that isn't in line with what we're expecting. So what, yeah. what's your example? Well, it sounds like it troubled you a lot. I wouldn't say trouble, but it is the kind of thing that we're on the lookout for. By deviance, we mean here like variation from established or normal protocol. And what we had was a, actually a recent outage of a part of our site. And it came about because of um, someone's uh, actions. Someone took a manual action to do a deployment. And that's unusual because normally we run our deployments out of our build system. And um, it's part of that. The build system has some checks and balances. And in particular, it won't do a deployment if an upstream build is broken. Uh, so if the upstream build is red, then it, it won't deploy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in this case, the person who was looking to deploy the new component, um, they noticed that, in fact, that there was an upstream build that was broken. But they um, made a judgment. They said, oh, I, I think this is probably a flick flickering test or something. I don't, basically, they didn't believe the outcome of the build. They didn't believe that status was true. And so they went and did a manual deployment override and pushed the artifact out. Some of our listeners might not know what a flickering test is. That's that's a test that you run and it kind of fails every third time and you kind of don't believe it anymore. So it kind of goes on and off like a flickering light. So they thought, hey, this is one of those, it kind of fails every once in a while. It's okay. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it fails even when all the when the software is still working fine. The test itself is is not reliable. It's, it's not a reliable signal. So it was a case where the he kind of didn't didn't believe the system and therefore um, ran the deployment. Of course, you already know because of the intro what what the result was, which is to say, uh, in fact, that that the tests have been failing for a good reason. That there we had a broken artifact, and um, so the site went down, or not all of it, but this one part of this one service went offline, which mm -hmm. um, we pretty much immediately knew <laughs> what the cost was and were able to revert it. But it was so interesting to me because it, it showed one of this these things that can happen. Uh, and the, the phrase here to go along with the deviance is the normalization of deviance, which is the idea that when we say that there's a, a deviation from the normal established protocol, that that sort of deviation can become normal, that can become sort of institutionalized. And this is an idea from Diane Vaughn, who uh, was studying things like the Challenger explosion. And if you go back and read some of the, the great stuff on, on that disaster, for example, because it was really carefully studied, you find that there were managers saying, oh, this is all okay. We know it's kind of cold today, and sometimes the rings have trouble, but uh, it'll be fine, which sounds kind of like your, uh, your, your friend who was manually deploying. And, and this is true of lots of explosions. Lots of disasters have these kind of characteristics where there are internal warning signs from systems that are there to warn you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have anticipated this problem and we've developed some way to do it. And it turns out then people say, I don't believe that build or I know that this coolant leak sign, it, you know, it always goes off on Fridays. So it, this is just, <laughs> it's, this is nothing, nothing serious. Put the control rods into the reactor and what could go wrong? It'll be fine. 
exactly. This is just normal. You know, I know what we're supposed to do, but let's let's continue on. And that's I think that's really interesting. And and I think one thing I just want to say is that this idea of normalization deviance I think is is a fascinating, powerful pull. And that I think it's it's humans are just the the way that we work. We're we're not machines. We don't naturally follow a fixed set of steps every mm-hmm. time the same way. And I think it's quite common then for people to get into habits of just wanting to get the job done and deviating from process. That sort of motivation, uh, I think, is just incredibly common. And and because we're troubleshooting Agile, we should reassure listeners at this point, we're, we're going to have some suggestions for what you can do to overcome that natural behavior of humans. <laughs> that's so right. So hang on, that that's coming. But, <laughs> but first, let's look at what, what Vaughn came up with. So she said there were these three different groups. And the first group is the people who observe the problem. Then they say, yeah, that's, that's a problem, but it's not that important, or I don't care about it, or we, we shouldn't worry about it. It'll be okay. Yeah, that's right. They just rate the risk to be low. I mean, so yeah, I, I see I see the, the warning, the, the klaxon is going off, but it's not something that needs our attention right now. My, my brother drives with a check engine light on all the time. I'm sure it's fine. I can, I can start the car. <laughs> that's right. The second group are people who observe the problems, but they don't report or discuss them. And that's, I, I claim typically because they're afraid, but that's the ultimate reason. There may be, they may also be uh, concerned that they'd be criticized or that uh, some boss or, or authority figure would look down on them. I, I claim that's all due to fear. You, you might want to disagree with me, Jeffrey. Yeah, I don't. I don't I'm not. No, I agree. Let's come back. Let's get through our three groups, and we'll come back to this because our second group here, are these people who see the problem and, and essentially have some concern, but then don't discuss it, they're the ones. This is the spoiler here. These are the people who can help us solve this problem going ahead. Yep. And then the third group is uh, you could think of them as kind of the junior developers in the team who are observing uh, this new thing called a flickering test. They've never heard of it before. And they're the ones who say, look, yeah, everybody else says this is OK. And, and actually, in fact, they don't say anything. They're, they're just silent. And so this must not be a problem. It looks a little weird to me, but hey, they're not doing anything. I think it's most commonly with more junior people. It can happen with anyone. It's sort of the idea, you know, my, my mother used to chastise me. You might have heard this, something like, well, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off too? <laughs> These are the people lining up on the bridge. Like, great, let me let me jump. Yeah. And, and actually, I, I, I once heard someone uh, respond and said, yes, I would, because I have really smart friends. And if they're all <laughs> yeah, exactly. jumping, they must have seen something wrong. <laughs> so. yep. Or there's something exciting at the bottom. You know, whatever it is, it sounds sounds good. Let me go with them. So really, we can't do much with the first or third group. And if you're in one of those groups, there's not much you can do to act. But the, the second group, we, we think we can do something with them. So we're in a situation where there are some some warning signs. What can we do so that the people who notice there's a problem maximize the chance of them speaking up? Mm-hmm. Because if they speak up, then there's a chance to change course and you know reassess and, and try something different. Um, but if they remain silent, then we lose that opportunity and you know we we may come through it okay. In fact, I'd say very often people deviate from the established process and they are successful, which is part of why this becomes normal because they develop a history of deviating from process. Indeed, and they might move among the groups. So, so a good point you made to me, Jeffrey, when you were describing this to me is that you, you you're not stuck in a group. You're not permanently in a group. So, for example, you might start in the second group where you're saying, "Oh my God, this sounds terrible," and then it happens ten times, and you think, "Oh, well, you know, that happens all the time. It's okay." You move into the first group. That's right, exactly. Personally, just speaking for myself, I might become sort of indifferent to the risk because of the frame of mind I'm in. 
you know, maybe I'm in a hurry. I want to get something done in time for a meeting uh, <laughs> or I want to, you know, go home. I mm -hmm. have some other motivation. I'm, I'm just very, very task focused. I'm just thinking I want to get this done as soon as possible. And I'm not really assessing all the risks and all the trade-offs. I'm, I'm just very task focused in that moment. And I think that can happen to, to anyone. Mm-hmm. So how can we catch these folks in the second group? How can we help them to feel empowered to, to do something? That's a great question because this is, this is where people actually do have the ability to have an influence ahead of time. And I think they do it by developing something we talked about not very long ago, which is psychological safety. And the idea with psychological safety is we've, as a group, we, we've all agreed that we're going to have an open environment where we can uh, talk about what we see because uh, we've agreed on what our sort of standards and norms are. And, and what that means then is that between each other, we've kind of established a covenant that, yeah, this is something we value and it's okay. It's for people to raise their concerns. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that can go wrong with that, if you don't have the, the psychological safety, is that you're, you're, you get to a stage where you, you could act, you're in the second group, you could act, and there's, there's nothing that psychological safety isn't there and the covenant isn't there, so you, you, you don't act. There's a great uh, famous experiment about this, we'll link in the show notes, where some students were part of an experiment, they thought they were filling in questionnaires, but in fact, the experiment was that uh, there was smoke coming under a door near them. <laughs> so the, the test was, how, how long will it take before somebody says, hey, there might be a fire here, what should we do? <laughs> and in fact, they waited quite a long time and a number of groups didn't do anything at all. So they might have five or six people in a room and, and no one acts. And that's because they hadn't had any covenant beforehand to, to, to act differently. And the, the important part about this experiment uh, that you described is that they did it with different numbers of people in the room. And mm -hmm. when people were alone in the room, they all reported, hey, look, there's smoke coming in the room. And you might understand why, you know, smoke might be fire. I, I don't want to die in a fire. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and raise this. Mm -hmm. but, but when you went and got a group of them together, as few as three in the room, and these are people who don't even really know each other, mm -hmm. suddenly they become inhibited and um, they look around to say like, well, okay, I, I noticed there's smoke, but it, everyone else seems to be okay. So mm -hmm. this must not be a problem. These are people who are classically are in that second group. They observe the problem, they have the concern, but they don't discuss it. There's been no conditioning for, no normalization for them to say, yep, it's normal for us to, when we see problems, to raise them. And, exactly. and the default that people have is, to look around and, and gauge from other people rather than acting on their own instinct. And this is why the priming people to have the conversations is, is so important. And, and coming back to Agile, we have an example kind of close to hand of a, a, a practice that many Agile teams use, which is pair programming. And when you have pair programming in place, one thing that you and I both have noticed, Jeffrey, is that the, the navigator, the person who might not have hands-on keyboard, is often a very good source of reminders of the covenant, reminders that, hey, we're, we're <laughs> responsible for something. We said, what did we say we were going to do? Can, can anybody remember? You know, what, what was that thing? Oh, yeah, we were going to write tests. Yeah. Why don't we do that? <laughs> That's right. And when, when it's early and we're establishing the process, the fact that we have discussed what we want to do becomes then 
you know, the, the, the ability for someone to say, yeah, look, aren't we supposed to, you know, write a test now? Aren't we supposed to refactor now? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we've agreed we were going to do in this situation? Ah, uh, that's right. Yep, that's that's right. And that's a good example because it's not always that people were choosing to skip those steps. They just maybe weren't remembering in, in the state. And it, so having someone that with higher situational awareness can provide that. And that, that idea of that other people in your in your team having more situational awareness or less depending on the circumstances is, is normal and we want we want to get the benefit of that that um, maybe this could this could happen all kinds of ways this could be happening at a stand up you know one person would be talking about what they were working on that day and someone else listening might think oh you know i i worry about what they're doing i, I have a little bit of concern because i know there's some landmines in that area or mm -hmm. you know how about we have a quick chat about it afterwards you want people to have the ability to speak up when they have those concerns. Indeed. I have a great example of that I just thought of. Uh, I have a team that I'm trying to help to learn to, to, to break things down into smaller pieces. And so uh, they happened to have, because one of them had just been to Australia, a little button that um, said um, silly and offensive uh, Australian phrases. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> what they are, but you know things about alligators and, and mate and so on, very stereotypical kinds of Australian things. And so when I was saying this, when I was teaching them about this technique and, and breaking things down into small pieces, I said, um, and can one of you be, be in charge at each stand-up of pushing that button if somebody says, I'm still doing today the same thing I was doing yesterday? <laughs> so if they say, I'm continuing, they go, bah, bah, you know, g'day, mate. And then, <laughs> then, you know, wait a minute, that's a normalization acculturation activity. The, the, the button is your reminder. And there's a person who's acting as the navigator who says, hang on, I have a little more situational awareness. I'm, I'm not the person who says I'm continuing. I know to push the button. Right. Very clear people like this is something that's uh, unusual and therefore it's worth us discussing. This idea that we're describing here, this of establishing psychological safety and making things discussable is something that there's very strong evidence for improvement outside of software as well. Mm -hmm. I know one of the articles discussed in the past that you really like is one about uh, shell oil, which people uh, might recall that they, they had a uh, rather bad safety track record for a while and, you know, put quite a bit of uh, oil into the Gulf. <laughs> and um, that led to them examining what they could do. And uh, can you tell us a little about what, what they did? Yeah, what they what they did was to uh, actually have these kind of almost encounter groups of their oil riggers. These are not stereotypically the sort of people you would think of sitting down and discussing their feelings and crying about them. Um, <laughs> imagine the opposite of stereotype of that. You know, big tough people, chiefly men, I suspect. I don't know that who were having these discussions. And what they were doing was setting the norm. And the norm was. We're going to look at errors and things that cause people to die on oil rigs because that's one of the, it's a very dangerous environment to be often ab above an ocean with lots of things that are designed to explode. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty dangerous situation. And yeah. what they were doing was having first the normalization discussion. This is what we expect to have happen. And then a discussion about their fears. What are we afraid of? What bothers us? What causes us to, to be concerned? And then, of course, taking action. So they were looking for the people who were in the second group and, and encouraged people actually to join the second group. Uh, it'd be great if you were reporting these things. This is a norm for us and then making it safe for them to do so. And uh, the result was 84% uh, fewer accidents. 
So it's hard to argue with those kinds of results, and that's replicated all over the place. I really love that example so much because it's a thing you wouldn't expect that just by telling people, yep, you're going to you're going to see things and you're going to you know feel a bit nervous, and you should act on that not by sort of you know quote unquote manning up and pushing through it and getting it done or you know, but mm-hmm. but raise it, discuss it, use you know act on that sense of uh, concern that you have. And that to have a, such a strong influence and a, such a strong impact, I think, was fantastic. Excellent. Okay. Well, I hope we've helped some of our listeners to deal with deviance that they might observe, the normalization of that deviance, and some actions that they can take to create psychological safety in their teams and, and expose fear, find out what, what fear is uh, affecting them. There'll be links in the show notes to uh, the bystander effect uh, experiment, uh, Diane Vaughn, and uh, the Shell Oil uh, experiment. So go go have a look at those. They're very interesting. Lots of detail on how, on how people have applied these ideas. As usual, we'd love for listeners to subscribe if they want to do that. If you want to hear our, our next podcast on similar topics and address problems in your team. We also love hearing from listeners. So Twitter, email, carrier pigeon, and any way you'd like to get in touch with us. <laughs> Most of those are, are linked in some form or another on troubleshootingagile.com. So please have a look there. And we'll see you next week for uh, the first in our, uh, well, the second, I guess, in our second year of podcasting. All right. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Gore. Cool.